Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you here as we continue our series on Sound Mind, dealing with mental and emotional well-being. And to kind of save a little time, I have pre-drawn some of what we've been going over. And we've talked about how God created us, mysteriously three-part people, body, soul, and spirit. And our soul we've been referencing primarily as our mind, your thought life, our emotions, how you manage your feelings, uh, and our will, the choices that come from that. Why'd you do that? Well, I felt like it or I thought about. And so those three go together. Our spirit is the innermost part of us. And when you accept Christ, that's where the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And so we'll talk about this a little further as the service goes on. Uh, and when we've been talking about it, uh, we've been giving homework throughout the different weeks. Uh, one aspect of homework was just to connect more with other people. And so last night, we did that with our Saturday night crowd. We had a section dinner, we called it. And we had a, a, a chili supper in the lobby, and there was tables everywhere. People all over had a great time. We also had a movie night down in the gym uh, for parents with kids. And we showed the movie up and had pizza down there. Just a great time to connect. And we're going to do that with you on Sundays. Uh, we're going to bring back section breakfast. We did those last summer. Had about 1,000 people attended over three weeks. And so what we're going to do, uh, you can register for them. It's starting March 12th, 19th, and 26th. There's a QR code or go to clcdayton.com. And so we have a nice colorful map of the auditorium so you know kind of where you are. And uh, each section has a section leader to kind of be your host. So let's go to that. There we go. Uh, and uh, it's behind me. Uh, you can see where you're at. So I think, let's see, I'm going for my memory. Coffee's over there and Forrest is over there. So kind of find where your section is. Most of you sit in the same section every week. Amen? Come on. Admit it. All right. Because I often sit, stand in the back and watch you come in. You go to the same place. That's fine. We're creatures of habit. And so on the first week, on March 12th, we're going to start with those, those of you who sit over here in these sections. And so if you regularly come to the 1045 service, then we're asking you to go ahead and come at 10 o'clock to the West Auditorium, uh, sit in your section to get to know people a little better. Uh, and if you come at the 9, then come 45 minutes before that. Uh, on the 19th, we'll jump over to this side of the auditorium and ask you to come to breakfast on, those on that day. And again, join us at uh, 10, 10 o'clock for that in the West Odd. And then the final week, the 26th, we're doing these three sections here. And we'll ask you to join us in the West Auditorium as well. If by some chance you're out of town, you can't make it that particular week, then just jump on another week to at least get to know people. Uh, and we're going to raise the relational temperature at Christian Life Center. How many of you know who can be uh, instrumental in raising the temperature at, of relationships at Christian Life Center? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm going to put your hand down. I'm going to ask you another question. How many of you are alive? Raise your hand. Okay, same answer. Okay, you can raise the relational temperature at Christian Life Center. And that's one way to do that. Another one, uh, last Tuesday, we had our annual staff awards banquet. It's a fun time. And we just highlight what each other has, has given to uh, CLC and to the team. And uh, Joyce was with me at the table. We're having lunch and Libby and her were talking. And we're talking, how can we find some little ways to raise this relational connection here at CLC? So they said, you know what? For ladies who want to just get together for a cup of coffee and talk, they both said they'd be happy to do that. So for Tuesdays in March, ladies, if you're free, Tuesday afternoon, you want to grab a half an hour with Joyce or Libby, just one-on-one, -on -one, um, then sign up for that so they can schedule that. But it's coffee and conversation with Pastor Libby and with my, my wife Joyce, either one. And if you call the church office and ask for Mandy, 898-8811, or you can uh, email Mandy, mhetzer at clcdayton.org, and she'll put you on a schedule, and it's just time that you can have something big to talk about, have a prayer need, or just, hey, let's just want to get out and talk. By the way, the cafe is open on Tuesdays and Wednesdays from 8 to 5. If you work remotely and you need someplace else to go, want to break the scenery, you're welcome to come. The Wi-Fi is great, and the coffee is delicious, and you can find a nice place to, to work as well. So those are some things we're doing to try to raise just the relational climate at Christian Life Center. hope you'll take part in that. And as we talk about uh, mental health, uh, one, we're going to do a deep dive today in some areas. And I saw a study that really, it was staggering, but not surprising. And they, they looked at undergraduates, and it was a graph of the percentage of U.S. undergraduates diagnosed with a mental or emotional pathology. And the graph goes upward to the right, and uh, it starts at 2010, because 2010 is really when uh, these uh, things in our pockets and your purse really became commonplace and an ongoing constant source of connection and attention draw. 
And so what they found is that since 2010, in U.S. undergrads, the percentage of those dealing with anxiety in a severe way increased 134%. That's huge. Uh, another uh, has to do with depression. And uh, that increased 106% since 2010. ADHD, up 72% since 2010. Bipolar disorder, up 57%. Uh, and although, although the numbers are smaller, 100% increase in anorexia, a 33% increase in substance abuse or addiction, and a two-thirds increase in schizophrenia. And so I fairly expect that this is going to be the trend of the future, increasing struggles for emotional and mental well-being. And so the church should be a place of increased healing and health and help for people. And so I want to talk about labels today, and I asked the band if they would help me illustrate uh, to start the sermon off. So our worship band, the uh, worship team is coming out. As they come, uh, these folks give up a whole lot of their time and effort for us. They come here Saturday mid-afternoon, and they rehearse, and they're here all evening, and then they come. When you're thinking about church or probably still sleeping, they're here rehearsing. So would you give it up for our band and our worship team, first of all? Way to go, you guys. So would you help me and just show some labels, please? And uh, no, they do not correspond to the person. They were just randomly given, all right? Uh, Dirk told me, you know, make sure people know that because one time years ago we did a, like a drama illustration and in the illustration someone had a drinking issue and literally the person that played that part later in the community, somebody said, hey, we're praying for your alcoholism. So um, now I'm not saying they don't have issues, but here are just obsessive compulsive. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders. Whoa. Okay. Talk to somebody. There we go. Clumsy disorder. Thank you. Gift of encouragement. Mood disorders, bipolar, ADHD, self-harm, and isolated. And I am certain that if I asked for a show of hands, if you would feel safe enough to raise your hand, these are labeling lots of things that you're dealing with. And you might say, well, my label's not up there. And so you have another issue that you struggle with, but uh, they're not uncommon. To the handful that want to live in denial, oh, that's not what Christians should deal with. That's not what the church is about. Um, I'd just suggest otherwise. Because uh, all of us are living on a fallen planet. And uh, as Christians, we're saved by grace, and then we're a work in process. So that's all I needed, guys. Thank you to get me started. But I'll do a little bit of a deeper dive. <laughs> to help illustrate that, I got an email from a young lady in her late 20s. And she said, thank you for your new sermon series. Um, it says her age. I've battled severe OCD and depression for 16 years. So that's a fairly strong label. I'm new to CLC, and before now, I have never felt safe sharing my trials with anyone at church. I want that sad observation to sink in. It should be the opposite. I got tired of being told that verses would heal me, or that I didn't have enough faith. It was so painful. But like you said during last week's sermon, once you get to neurosis or psychosis, those things don't always make a major difference. My mental health journey has been very deep and very dark. However, by the grace of God, I consider myself in remission. I am thankful these diseases didn't take my life or that I didn't lose my faith. I almost did lose my faith. Religious OCD can drive you to insanity. But I found healing from much prayer counseling, medications, and the rational Bible commentary by Dennis Prager. I highly recommend it. Notice the multifaceted approach that she took to deal with that. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know how much this series means to me. I know it's going to be deeply changed, CLC. Hope those who are fearful and hurting will feel free to open up because of what you're doing. You could literally be saving lives. Another email that actually started with a Zoom call I had with a young mom uh, who has battled uh, bipolar disorder for most of her life. She said uh, in the Zoom call that she discovered this, became aware of it as a teenager, late middle school, uh, by freshman year of high school, knew that 
the mood swings that she had that were severe and started to hear voices that there was something deeper going on. Uh, she sought professional help. She said that she went through 25 medications in two years until they finally found the right medication that would work in her circumstance. As I said earlier, body, soul, and spirit, there are some things here that are really tied to chemical imbalances here. And if it's due to a chemical imbalance here, you can't think your way out of that any more than a diabetic can think their way to a lower A1C by just thinking. And so it took a, a time for her, and she stayed persistent and, and commend her family as well for staying at till they found uh, the right solution, right combination. She said, when you're bipolar, other people can make you feel lonely, like you're less than worth, you're worthless compared to someone else. They can make you feel like you lack intelligence or your opinion doesn't matter or isn't valid, that your hurt is made up. You can feel a sense of shame or that you don't have a choice. And people can act as if they are scared to get personal or talk to you, uh, so friendships fade. Once a person learns the label, it can kind of change the way they relate to you. She said things that help include during episodes. If they're open to it, just hug that person. Let them know you care about them. One hug can go a long way. Don't make it feel like it's always something wrong with them. And when you can, use humor in place of all the darkness that comes with the word bipolar. It helps a lot. She said to bipolar people, one thing that she's found helpful is write letters to God. You remember we talked in earlier weeks that journaling, regardless of the struggle that you have in these areas of your inner part, your inner life, journaling is hugely helpful uh, to your emotional and mental well-being. Some studies have shown that journaling can be as effective for some people as sitting down with a, a mental health professional. Uh, after the fact, learn to say you're sorry when you've been hurtful during episodes. Know that God made you and know that people who don't have your brain will never fully understand. And she's very adamant about seeking help. She said, let doctors figure out what's going on inside of you. We have a lot of different chemical components inside our brains. Some of us just don't have enough. The good thing is we can get what we don't have. With help, you can have a life of happiness with a lot of stories to tell. And when we look back, uh, people like Ernest Hemingway was known to have bipolar disorder, as was Frank Sinatra, Mariah Carey, our 26th president, Theodore Roosevelt. And it is not uncommon to find people who have been in high leadership positions, people who have been in very creative aspects of, of our culture, have often had to deal with bipolar disorder. And so what you find there is I'm using the words intentional, had to deal with it. Sometimes you can get over things and make them go away. Sometimes you simply learn how to deal with it and manage it, but it can be done. And I believe especially for those of us of the household of faith, for those of us who are Christians. When it comes to clinical depression, historians have long known that Abraham Lincoln battled depression his whole life, as did Winston Churchill, Sir Isaac Newton, Ludwig von Beethoven. Uh, Modern-day Buzz Aldrin was, a, was a, an astronaut on the Apollo missions. Princess Diana, Lady Gaga, Terry Bradshaw, the list goes on, uh, dealing with, with clinical depression. And if we were to ask for a candid show of hands, most hands would go up. I've got this issue or that struggle, or I had that, or I'm, I'm dealing with this. And so when it comes to labels, let's look at a biblical perspective. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God is dealing with Samuel and choosing a king. And he says, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, looks at the mood swings, looks at the behavior, listens to the words. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God, God sees you beyond this, and he sees to this and to this. And so when it comes to labels that were just identified here, a label can be helpful to know what you're dealing with. And really the labels talked about here, whether it's clinical depression, whether it's obsessive compulsive disorder, or it's bipolar disorder, it is basically a collection of behaviors and of emotional uh, and, and mental uh, characteristics or symptoms or patterns. And so when you can continue to observe that and kind of put that into a cluster, you can put a label on it, not to then put people down or condemn them or make them feel less than, but okay, now that we have a label on it, now we know what to do with it. 
So simply from the standpoint of understanding it and being able to, to deal with it is the only real value to that, not to then shun people or judge them. So let's do the math. A little bit of a homework uh, math project or problem here. And I'm so proud of myself. I thought this ahead of time. Don't draw it all spontaneous or, or in the moment. I pre-drew it all. Huh? Yay, Pastor Stan. So um, anyways, so all you math types, we'll take Third John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. That's what we've been talking about, the word of flourishing. So you take that, okay? God wants us to flourish soul deep and with our physical health as well. And then add to that Mark 12, 30. Here's how God wants us to love him. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So body, soul, and spirit, God wants the whole person of you to love him. All right, add to that Psalm 23.3 because for most of us, we got some junk here, don't we? Don't we? Okay, I caught you by surprise. For most of us, we got some junk here, don't we? There we go, okay. And so how does that work? Well, Psalm 23.3, he restores my soul. When I accept Christ as my Savior and the Holy Spirit dwells in my spirit, he begins then a process that requires my participation in restoring my thought life, restoring my emotional life, and restoring my choices. And many of us get stuck down here and we keep making choices that cause us problems here and cause us problems here. And it's this spiral. God comes to restore that. That may seem overwhelming, may seem impossible, may seem like you can't do it. But we add to that Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? You know, your junk, your issues, your past, what you did, what they did, how you think, how they think, your feelings. Oh, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He doesn't say these things don't exist. No, these things the cry in your life, what do you say to that? If God's for me, who can be against me? And when you add all that up, you get to 2 Timothy 1.7, our theme verse, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So it's a package deal. It's a process that we go through and it's kind of rinse and repeat. You do it over and over. It is, it is perpetual and it's ongoing. And so if you have the CLC app, the outline is in there. I encourage you to download if you don't. There's even a cool, we used to give out bulletins when you came in. Now there's a weekly digital bulletin in the app. So if you miss that, get the app. Uh, but in the app, in addition to the outline, I've got like this many scriptures I don't have time to put on the screen. And so they are listed in the app. And I encourage you to, uh, to go there this week. And some of you, many of you need to read them and memorize some of them. Because the third point with Philippians 4, 8 in mind, don't let all your thoughts just happen. Okay, what's Philippians 4, 8? Uh, Philippians 4, 8, I think we have a slide to kind of throw up the, the characteristics. If you remember Philippians 4, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Paul said that these are the kinds of things you should think about. You should choose to think about. Okay, just stop for a second. How many of you have been enjoying the nice spring-like weather, huh? Sunshine, okay. Um, anybody like to take bike rides in the nice weather or walks, okay? Anybody like to go for ice cream, all right? Anybody say, what does nice weather have to do with ice cream? I can go in, in January, right? So, all right. So I just made you think about bike rides, walks, ice cream. You, ha you have control over much of what you think. At the very least, you have control over thoughts once they land. So choose to think about things that are true, and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and good, and excellent, and praiseworthy. And when you do, you will notice that the peace within you, the it is well with my soulness we're talking about, increases, Paul says, when you think that way. Now, Wednesday night, we do a deeper dive into the sermon, and I've been bringing in mental health professionals from the church. Although this Wednesday, we're doing the prayer service. That's great for your mental health as well, so join us Wednesday at 7. But the other weeks in March, uh, until the, the last week, we'll have mental health professionals in again. Last week, we had Anna Opara was in, and uh, she used a couple of things that I really like. She talked about uh, the tools that you have 
to use to build, to improve, to fix your mental and emotional well-being. And lots of those tools you get through a healthy counseling process. And I'm going to give you some tools today that are biblical, spiritual tools to use to improve your mental and emotional health. She also talked about uh, a check engine light. And she said, you know, you have a check engine light and it goes on. You know, when your check engine light goes on, what do you do? You, you take it to get it fixed. Although I had to confess, my truck has like 250,000 miles on it. I just assume the light's bad. It just keeps burning. I don't want to take it anywhere. I'm not going to pay 90 bucks to have a guy tell me your light went bad. So anyways. Um, but normally, I have a check engine light. It's, okay, go check that out. God made you with check engine lights. A lot of your bodily stress your migraines, your indigestion, your can't sleep, your whatever, can be a check engine light that something needs to be dealt with here. You've got relational check engine lights. Whoa, this isn't working good. And it's a check engine light that something needs to be... So pay attention to your check engine lights. Just tell your neighbor, pay attention to it. So with that said, I want us to look at the idea of not letting your thoughts just happen. I want to emphasize the impact on you when you don't just let your thoughts happen. And then I want to give you some tools when they do. So first of all, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Say warfare. Say fortresses. We are in a war. Battle by battle by battle. It is called living on planet Earth. The planet is falling and it cannot get up. Go back to the sermon I preached the first week of August. I drew the, the, the uh, iceberg and the tip of the iceberg, our suffering. There is a battle going on between God and Satan, between good and evil. And it is a battle that will not end until someday we're in heaven and it's over for good. The destruction of fortresses. And he goes on in verse 5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive. Say every thought captive. To the obedience of Christ. If you get nothing else out of the message, understand today that we're in a battle. Satan wants to establish strongholds in your soul and we're to take every thought captive if we're going to destroy those. So let's, let's go a little further on this. And I got so arts and craftsy this week to help illustrate a point for you. All you art teachers would be happy, uh, I hope. So this is a fortress. And if you can see, there's a frowny face on there, okay? And so it's meant to look kind of like a castle-ish kind of thing. Use your imagination. You've got these in varying stages in your soul. For some of you, your family of origin may have built a huge fortress of pain or shame or rejection or insecurity. For some of you, it's uh, someone who pledged to love you till death do you part and they parted, but nobody died. For some of you, it was I don't know whose voice keeps going over in your head about you and what you can or cannot do, what you always will do or what you'll never amount to, but there are fortresses and about what God doesn't want to do for you and, and they're, they're encamped against you or they're built up against you. I used to wonder, how can a Christian have an addiction? <coughs> Fill in the blank. Drugs, alcohol, tobacco, pornography, whatever. How does that work? Well, they must not be a Christian. And then I realized when I come to Christ, my spirit, I'm born again, instantly renewed. And then Psalm 23, 3 kicks in. He restores my soul, my mind, my emotions, and my will as I stay in that battle to tear down these strongholds. So it's a process. Say it's a process. And in case you're like, no, nah, you can't have an addiction if you're a Christian. You can't, if you're a Christian, you can't have these if you're a Christian. All right, let me, let me stop real quick and do a truth check. For all of you that are Christians, not everybody here is, but if you're a Christ follower, how many of you ever did something, even though you knew in this book it was wrong? Can I see an honest hand? Okay, put it down. 
How many of you did it, ever did the same thing multiple times? Would you raise your hand? So which is it? I think it's more like the reality of Romans 7 where Paul says, the thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this shame? And so there are strongholds. And like I said, sometimes you put them there. Sometimes you created your own addiction. Sometimes somebody else. And it's a process. But we can destroy these or at the very least reduce them, remove them or manage them so they don't destroy us. But in order to do that, what did Paul say? You've got to take every thought, what? Captive. Uses that kind of warfare phrase as well. You take it captive. You capture every thought. When you learn to do this, when you practice this, Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It is transformational for you when you learn as a Christian to stop letting your thoughts just happen. Now that takes intentionality. Just this week, Joyce and I were sitting talking about something that stresses us both out. Uh, and we're talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And I realized, whoa, it's just stress levels going up. We're both feeling stressed and discouraged and overwhelmed by it. And I finally stopped and said, we just got to pray about this. Because so many times we have these thoughts. And a lot of times when I'm feeling something and I'll ask myself, why am I feeling that? I'm feeling it because of what I'm thinking and what I'm telling myself. And, and, and they kind of go together. And then before you know, I'm doing stupid stuff or dysfunctional stuff. And that, that pattern is just there. And, 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 I, and I, I hand Satan another brick. Here, let's make that fortress even stronger. Here's how you tear it down. You take thoughts captive and you fight them like Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, what did he do? He didn't say, I'm God, you're not. No, he fought. Satan with scriptural truth. Satan takes a little bit of Bible, a little bit of lie, sounds good, looks good, and, he, and we fall for it. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus fought those thoughts with truth. So, too many verses to, to uh, put on the screen. But let's say you battle guilt and shame a lot. You just feel so guilty. And maybe somebody put that guiltiness in you from the get-go and they manipulated with guilt. Maybe you've done some horrible things and you, you have things to be ashamed of or feel guilt for. And so, and, and boy, and Satan is the accuser. He's good at accusing you of what you did. He's good at accusing you of your worthlessness or why you should be insecure or why whatever, okay? And so let's say his accusation point with you and the thoughts has just come flooding out of nowhere. Guilt and shame. You can't stop the thought, but you can then capture it, take it captive. And when you're feeling overwhelmed, if you are a Christian and you've asked God to forgive you, then you say back to yourself, I'm going to personalize them. Therefore, Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for me who is in Christ Jesus. And Roman, 1 John 1, 9, if I confess, I have confessed my sins, he is faithful and righteous and has forgiven me of my sin and has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. And I take that thought captive every time I'm prone to feel guilty from something I confessed, God's forgiven me. I remind myself of that and I fight it with that and you will find that thought quiets down. It doesn't go away instantly because Satan doesn't, doesn't give up easily. He'll take another shot. He came at Jesus time after time, right? He's going to come at you, but you keep fighting that and keep telling yourself that I don't need to walk in this guilt and shame anymore. I have been forgiven. Another one. Maybe you have this thought and it sounds like someone, who knows in your life, you'll never change. Yeah, I figure you'll never change. Yeah, you'll never change. Yeah, that's what you said before. You made the, you're, you're just empty promises. You'll never change. And what impact does it have on us? Just destroys us. We feel like garbage. And you say, no, no, that's a lie. That is a lie because Philippians 1, 6, one of my favorite verses, says, I am confident, I'll personalize, personalize it, of this very thing. He who began a good work in me will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will not give up on me. I am in process. I am changing. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17, personalize it. Therefore, I am in Christ and I am a new creature. Old things passed away and continue to pass away. All things are becoming new and will continue to become new. You take that thought captive. Maybe you struggle. Your struggle is bigger than you are. Huh. You, you think you're going to change that? You think you can tear that down? You can't tear that down. And instead, you know what? You, you say back to that, Romans uh, chapter 8, 31, what shall I say to these things? If God's for me, who can be against me? I don't say these things don't exist. These things are not there because they are. But you know what? If God is for me, who can be against me? And over time, you can see strongholds destroyed from your life, removed from your life, or at the very least, minimized in your life. Maybe here's the thought. I don't care what you hear in those sermons. You're always going to be a nervous wreck. You're always going to be anxious. You are always anxious. If he had any idea how anxious you are, you might as well, not, you might as well sleep in those Sundays because you're always going to be a nervous wreck. You're always going to be anxious. You're just that way. If people had any idea how anxious you are, and then it goes and goes and goes. And the problem is we just have those thoughts. We just let them go and go and go. And what happens? Our anxiety level goes through the roof. No, capture that thought. Take it captive and say, no, that's not the truth. Because what the Bible says, Isaiah 26 says, he will keep me in perfect peace if I anchor my thoughts in him. Isaiah 41.10, I love this verse. Do not fear for I am with you. I will not fear because he is with me. I will not anxiously look about me for he is my God. He will strengthen me. He will help me. He will uphold me with his righteous right hand. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you begin to internalize truth to take captive those thoughts. If you're feeling lonely and rejected and depressed... Nobody loves me. I'm an island. Isaiah 49, God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? It's obviously that. No. Even if these may forget, which they won't, I will not forget you. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. It's like you're a tattoo on God's hands. He said, I'll never forget you. My love for you isn't dependent on anybody else's love. My love for you is, is real. Maybe you're insecure and inadequate and you feel inferior. Man, when I was drowning in that years ago, the Lord just confronted me with 1 Peter 1, 18. I'll personalize it, knowing that I was not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And the Holy Spirit confronted me and said, if I decided your worth is the blood of Christ, my son, who are you to act otherwise? Who are you to walk around in, in inferiority and in defeat and insecurity? Shake it off. Take that thought captive because it's a lie. Maybe you feel unloved and unlovable and maybe somebody has made you feel that way and it's a huge stronghold in your life and Satan knows if he can keep that stronghold of unloved and, and unlovable alive and well in you, you can't love yourself. If you can't love yourself, you're not going to love your neighbor. It's going to be hard for you to take love from God. And, and instead what you do when you're feeling that is you tell yourself the truth that Isaiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness and I will, re I will build you and you will be rebuilt and he will do the restoring work in your soul. But you've got to take those thoughts captive. Likewise, if you're feeling panicked about the future and but when you think about it, it just stresses you out and you get really anxious. Now, there's good reason for that. So, you know, I remind myself that Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, Tell your neighbor, say, Jesus said this. So if Jesus said this, you probably ought to pay attention to it. Do not worry about tomorrow. Can I hear an amen? amen. Because tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And see, I don't have to worry about tomorrow because you know who's going to be there when I get there? Jesus. He already knew life's a mess. Life on this planet is a mess, has been since the Garden of Eden. And it is a battle we are in and we are fighting this battle until someday we get to heaven. And so part of why I don't have to be totally stressed out about tomorrow is because I think of some tomorrow, whenever it is, and heaven will be ours for forever. And so because I know I'm going there, I can deal with whatever I'm going through here. And some of you, last one we'll look at, you're overwhelmed by the past. We've already talked about this. For some of you, your past is horrible. What they did to you, what you did, what you lived through. 
would, would create all, all, many of these labels. And, and unfortunately, some of us are masters at not just having it be our past. Now, I'll remind you, you don't live with your past. You live now with what you tell yourself about your past. And if what you tell yourself currently about your past, I'm not telling myself, if the thoughts you have about your past are defeating and perpetuate the pain, prayerfully ask God for a new interpretation to look back. Some of us are so good at taking our past and then recreating it and remembering it and dragging it forward. And, and, then, and they said this, and this happened, and, that, and we just keep dragging. And we make today as miserable as yesterday, even though nobody is even here today that was in the yesterday. None of the events of yesterday are happening now, but I'm recreating them here and here. And so I make myself as miserable now as I was then, and tomorrow promises to be the same. And if that's you, and you keep reaching back to the past, then you remind yourself out loud, Philippians 3.13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of perfection, but one thing I do. Say one thing. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, help me to forget it and what I can't forget. Help me to interpret it redemptively and tear down this stronghold. Now, I would love to tell you that good Christians have none of these. I can't. Because we live on a fallen planet and Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to earth to fix it. It's beyond fixing. His solution is a new heaven and a new earth, a do-over. But he did come to earth to save you from your sins and give you hope that someday when this earth is done, you'll be with him in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, and all, there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more strongholds, nothing. For some of us, perhaps for many of us, there will still be a... And since you're the last service, I don't have to keep these anymore, but... Partial strongholds, how's that? <laughs> For some of us, the pain or the impact will never fully get over or undo. But I believe as Christians, we can grow in our faith. We can learn how to take captive every thought. We can how to learn how to apply God's word and we can learn how to deal effectively with this so that we are overcomers. We are not overcome. And some of you may deal with it till the day you die. But I believe you do not need to be defeated by it. I believe you can learn how to deal with it. Because the reality is all of us are a work in process and there are no Christians that are done. I don't, I've never seen a Christian who's done with it. Well, I, I take that back. Um, I have seen Christians who are done with that. They happen to be laying in a box with a bunch of flowers in the room. Okay, that's when we're done. Until then, until then, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. And what should we say to things? If God is for me, who can be against me? I don't, I don't care what the stronghold, what the pain, what the issue, issue is. God is going to show me how to win in spite of that. And when I get to heaven, there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. And the first things will pass away and then we'll be done. So in closing, with God's help, change your mindset. Tell your neighbor, change it. Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things above and not on the things that are on earth. Boy, if you want an anxiety-reducing practice right there, when you are getting all stressed out about them, about this, about whatever, it's all here stuff. Boy, Lord, give me thoughts about things above. Give me thoughts about you and your ways. Give me thoughts about your healing, about your hope, about what you do. And give me thoughts about where I'm going, what you're preparing for me. Romans 8, 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit, get this, is life and peace. Take a nice deep breath, let it out, and when you're done, say life and peace. Ready? Life and peace. The mindset on the spirit. 
You have a choice. You can't choose what thoughts enter your mind, but you can choose where you take them and where they take you and what you do with it. Learn to take a captive. Learn to combat those thoughts with truth. Use the tools that God has given you right here. Remind yourself of the truth and you will experience in increasing measure life and peace in your soul. So we want to close this service with a celebration of what Jesus did for us to make all this possible. We're going to take communion. If you haven't received the elements, uh, if you forgot to get them, raise your hand. Our section leaders will give them to you. Raise your hand real quick. If you need the communion elements, we'll get them to you. And uh, as we're preparing for that, I want to read to you the communion passage from, that the Apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians. And I, I invite you to notice the mental and emotional health dimensions of taking communion. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord, verse 23, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, the same grateful way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul adds, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as you take the bread and the cup in a few minutes after the song, we'll take it together. The cup represents the blood of Christ that speaks to both healing and forgiveness. And if you need either of those, ask for it. He'll give it freely. The bread represents the brokenness of Christ and we can relate to the brokenness, but he also comes to make us whole together as the body. And then he goes on to say, therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a person examine himself and so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly, discern the body, value the body. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number have died. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. Strongholds can hide and keep doing damage in unexamined souls. So many of us keep the blind spot because we'd rather not go there. And in communion, in what represents the presence of Christ, where it should be safe, we ask, Lord, search me as David prayed. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any hurtful ways in me. Am I building these strongholds? Am I adding to them? And lead me in an everlasting way. Communion is a time to examine ourselves because the unexamined soul is where strongholds can thrive. Likewise, he says to judge, discern, value the body rightly. Christians and the church get sick when we don't value the body correctly. And that's one of the greatest threats to the modern American church, especially the modern American large church. Because the body of Christ was never meant to be a bunch of strangers in a big room enjoying worship, hearing a message, and leaving. If I really value the body rightly, I don't even need a, a section breakfast to connect with people because I'm just doing it. Because I care about the people that God put around me. I get to know them. We meet for coffee before church or we go to lunch afterwards or whatever. But there, there is a proper evaluation of the body is understanding that we are we and us. And I do my part to raise the relational temperature in this, his church, his body. And so as, as the team sings a song about how deep our Father loves you, drink that in. If you need forgiveness, if you need healing, ask for it. Also ask him to help you see, do you value the body correctly? And, and if not, then what role, what connection does he want you to pursue as part of his family, the body of Christ?
bow with me in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, as you search our hearts, no doubt you see strongholds of anxiety or fear, guilt, inadequacy, depression, the list goes on. So we just want to repent of all that. We just want to let go of all that and bring it to you. As you search us, show us if there are any anxious thoughts and hurtful ways in us and, and continue your restoring work. Teach us, God, how to, how to take thoughts captive, how to contrast them to biblical truth and then to walk in that truth. Lord, I thank you that your peace is something that you can cultivate in us as we yield to you. So as you draw us near in your love, how deep your love for us, Father. We're so grateful. In that love, you want to heal and restore. You want to say, peace be still. You want to give us strength. And you want to reassure us that greater is he that's in us, dwelling in our spirit than he that's in the world. Lord, I thank you for every stronghold that you will tear down as we seize and take every thought captive, every stronghold that will be torn down and gone from our lives. Thank you. We walk in victory. Lord, also for those strongholds that may never fully go away, but you can likewise teach us how to deal with, how to overcome and not be overcome by those. We thank you, God, until someday we're in heaven with you. And there's no longer any crying, any tears, any pain. Jesus, when you took communion with your disciples, you caused them to think forward, to long for heaven, because you said, I'll drink it new with you again in my Father's kingdom. So we look forward to that day in heaven with you, Lord. And until we do, we take these elements with grateful heart for what you have done, and with gratitude and peace and confidence that you will not leave us or forsake us, and you will continue to restore us and be with us until we're home with you for forever. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread and the cup together, shall we? So Lord, I, I pray a blessing over this congregation that we would know the peace of God will guard our, our hearts, our emotional lives, and our minds, our thought life. It will dwell within us a peace that goes beyond comprehension. And I pray, Lord, that, that they will flourish and be in good health and it'll be well with their soul now and always. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. You're, feel free to remain and just reflect on the message or visit with a friend. We'll see you Wednesday night. God bless you.